building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Survival. Today, we are talking about how to rapidly validate and test new ideas. I see a lot of startup owners that they just don't do enough research and they don't do enough testing before they launch a product or service. I think sometimes we're in this situation where we don't know how, we don't know who to talk to, we don't know how to complete the research. We're scared, right? You're scared to potentially be invalidated or have people tell you that you don't have a product market fit. And we're scared to have conversations with our potential buyers too early. There's like, there's a million reasons that this stuff happens. That said, you must talk to your customers. You must test your startup's product or service before you launch to understand how the market will react. And ultimately that's a big indicator of your success later on. I read the book Sprint about five years ago and I was immediately obsessed. And I had no idea that there was a process where you could test new ideas in just five days, which is like a startup owner's dream because you know, like, <laughs> who's got time for that, right? And then serendipitously, one day I saw on Twitter that one of the authors, John Sarasky, was moving to Milwaukee. And I reached out to him, we had coffee, we talked business and eventually we became friends and he agreed to join me today to talk about that testing process and how you might go about applying it to your startup. Thank you, John, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you for having me. For sure. Okay, let's jump in. So first question, I would love to get a high level overview of the sprint process. Like what is it and when do you run one? The big idea with a sprint is to build a realistic prototype of your product or whatever you're you're thinking of creating and test it, put it in front of real customers um, and see how they react and to do all that in the course of five days. Um, the, the sprint can be used by any team who's starting a new project. So at the beginning of something new, a new product, uh, going into a new market, uh, considering some big uh, technical investment, you know, building some new piece of tech that's going to take a long time. But we find that it really works best when there's a lot of uncertainty. So when you're at that sort of scary, nervous beginning part of a project and you're like, I've got this idea and I think there's something here, but if I'm really honest with myself, I know that I don't know, right? I know that it's going to be sort of a, a moment when I finally launch it and I finally put it into the world. The sprint allows you to kind of de-risk those scenarios, answer your key questions so that when you do move forward, you do make that big investment of time and money and other resources, you know that you're heading in the right direction. Yeah. And it gives you a process around just that really scary time of making big, important decisions and testing them and bringing them to even a limited version of your market. That's just it's stressful. I mean, I've been there, you've been there. It's, it's a stressful time. And I think just putting some process around it and giving people options around how to do this stuff is just a huge step in the right direction. 
I think one thing, especially as I talk to founders that really holds people back is their MVP is not MVP enough. Like it's not minimum enough. I remember hearing once that your first version of a product or service should be embarrassing. And if it isn't, then you've waited too long. In Sprint, you basically say that you should fake it till you make it. And when you're putting together a prototype, you use whatever tools are at your disposal to make a product look real so that you can test it. You don't actually have to build the thing. What is your best advice to founders on how to how to go about kind of duct taping that prototype together? Yeah, I, I actually don't think that the first version of your product that you release should be embarrassing because you only get one chance to make a first impression on people. If you're in a market or an industry where there's a big trust barrier, um, where you're asking people to depend on your product or your service to run their business, for example, you can't release something that's shoddy, that's half finished, that doesn't do what it says it's going to do. So I actually think you want to wait for the, the launch until you've, you've, tested your assumptions, you've um, validated your hypotheses, you're sure that you've built the right thing and that your customers are going to care about it. So one of the reasons we we run sprints is so that you can test your ideas in a safe environment. You can test it in a way that's not quite as scary. That's not going to be as embarrassing. You can put together that scrappy prototype. And if it fails, if it falls apart, it's only in front of five customers. It's not in front of the whole market. It's not after you've made a big announcement and tried to get people to go and sign up for it. Um, And so I think that's really important to keep in mind is that idea, that distinction between the product you put in the market and the product that you use to learn, the product that you use to validate or test. And the, the good news is that there's so many amazing tools for building those scrappy prototypes today. When we started running sprints, we would um, we would actually make mockups in Keynote, which is you know the presentation software, um, yeah. because there weren't a lot of great tools for building rapid prototypes. But today, you know whether it's Squarespace where you can make a website for something that doesn't exist yet, or Webflow or other no code tools like Bubble, there's just so many tools that allow you to make things that look really realistic, really fast. And so we encourage founders and people working at all kinds of companies who are building new things to use those sorts of tools to figure out what is the simplest possible way that I can create a version of this that is convincing enough. It's like just real enough that when somebody looks at it, they're going to react as if they're looking at the real thing. And then if it turns out you're wrong, you throw it away. You didn't lose a ton of time. You didn't you know, lose a ton of uh, energy on that, but you're learning something important and you can keep moving forward to that moment when you are ready, you are confident enough to launch into the market. And there's an important distinction that happens between when somebody sees something that looks real, even if it's not functional, even if it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, behind the curtain controlling things, when mm-hmm. customers see something that looks real, they react and they they tend to be very honest with you. Whereas if you show them something that looks like a mock-up, it doesn't, you know, it looks unfinished. I, I have found that they're more likely to tell you what you want to hear and sort of be nice. It's sort of like, oh, that's cute. Like you made, like, uh, thank you for showing me your your school project. Like that's, that's so nice. Um, but if you show them the thing that looks real, even if it doesn't work, then they're going to give you the honest reactions and feedback that you really need to hear. 
That makes sense. I think that looks cute is about the last thing that we as founders want to hear <laughs> when we're trying to bring something to market. So that's yeah. a really good distinction. So the last step of Sprint is the test. Like I mentioned in the intro, I think testing often gets held up because people don't know where to find members of their target audience to test on. And Sprint says that you need just five people to test a prototype. Where do you find them and why five? Okay, I'll start with the, the tough answer here, which is that if you can't find five customers, you might be in the wrong business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you think about it, like, you know, sure, maybe there are some ultra niche companies where you're only ever going to have 10, 15, 20 customers. But if you're building a product that's going to be used by hundreds, thousands, millions, you should be able to find a scrappy way to reach five of them, right? So that that alone is kind of its own test, right? It's kind of its own litmus test for how are you going to find these people? What are going to be the channels? You're sort of getting to prototype some of the, the marketing, the acquisition uh, at the same time as you're prototyping the product itself. Um, yeah. The reason it's five is because of uh, and this is going to get a little bit uh, geeky, but but in the world of usability research, which goes back many decades, there's there's uh, there was some important meta-analysis done, sort of research about research that looked back over a lot of usability studies and found that by the time they got into the fifth user interview, so the fifth, fifth time testing a particular prototype or concept with a customer, they had learned about 85% of all the issues, all the things they were ever going to learn. So even if they went on to test it with 50 customers, they were only going to learn a little bit more. So that became a really important sort of uh, guideline for people in the world of, of customer research and testing is that if you can find five, you can learn most of what you need to know. But it's really, really important that those five all fit the same profile. Because if you find five customers who are all a little bit different and they all say different things, then you don't know if it's because they're just different people and they react differently or if because uh, maybe the concepts you created are not they're not resonating or they're not clicking for people. So it's really important that they all fit that profile. And then you also asked about where to find those people. So there are services you can use. There's sites like userinterviews.com that will allow you to go and actually source people uh, for testing. What we often do is um, we tend to work if, you know, even if a company is at a pretty early stage, they usually have some way of reaching customers already. Maybe they have a wait list. Maybe they have some social media followers. Maybe they have an email list, a newsletter. And so what we'll do is we'll kind of do a slice of that audience. We'll send out a link to a survey, a screener survey, so that we can make sure that we're recruiting customers who fit that profile. And we'll kind of select people that way. Um, we've also used Craigslist. If we're looking for, you know, quote unquote, normal people who, um, you know, maybe aren't in a particular role, but we just want people who live in a certain area and are interested in food or they like cars or whatever, we'll post a sort of a vague ad on Craigslist with a link to a screener survey again, so we can make sure that we're filtering out the people who don't fit the profile and do that. So basically uh, you need to be scrappy. Um, it's a good litmus test for finding customers for your actual business, but it's very important that you use that screener survey to, to ensure that each of the customers you talk to fit that same profile. Yeah, I as a marketer have found people for focus groups in the most, most random ways. Craigslist, Facebook, those are those are two of them. So yeah, you can infiltrate groups, you know, if there's communities, if there's uh, Facebook groups of people who are in a particular profession, like there's, 
there's a lot of ways you can reach out and find these people. And it's good practice. It gets you in the, gets you in kind of the mindset of, of thinking, you know, about where your customers are and how you're going to build a marketing engine to, to reach them sustainably over time. And it makes it less scary. The more you do it, the less scary this process of yeah. finding the people, testing in front of people gets. All right, last question. If everyone listening today walks away with just one lesson from everything that we just talked about, what is it? I think that the most important lesson for people who are starting something new is that you need to talk to customers, you need to test, but it is scary. I'm not gonna tell you it's not scary or it shouldn't be scary. So the the trick in my opinion the most important lesson is not to you know grin and bear it and just try to like push through but to find ways to make it less scary and and that's what we try to do in sprints we try to say okay we're not going to do this big splashy launch we're not going to release it to thousands of people we're just going to test it with five and like you said once you get in that sort of habit that routine you break down that initial fear of testing your ideas um, by doing it five people at a time uh, not only do you, do you learn a lot, but you start to build momentum. You start to, to make progress toward what you ultimately do want to, to build and release to the world. I love that. Thank you, John. All right, you guys, if you got value out of the episode today, share it with one person, one person that is building something new, one person that's trying to figure out how to test a new product or service. And I will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.